Good morning. So uh, great to see all of you, and special welcome to those of you who've come here today as our as a guest for us. We um, consider it a real privilege to have you with us, and uh, it's a privilege for me to be able to share the greatest truth this morning that there is that we can celebrate the resurrection of our of our Lord. One of the things that I enjoy about Brookside is seeing all the babies around this place every Sunday. The fact that I could be wrong, but sometimes it seems like there's a new baby showing up every week. And it's like a baby place, you know. And one, one of the things I'm, I'm getting a charge out of is the names that I'm hearing, these new babies being born. You know, for me, it's like I'm hearing the names of adults that I knew as a child back in the 50s. It's fun, you know, names like Charlie and Eva and Andrew and Owen and Emery and Violet. I mean, I knew these people, Jane, Eleanor, Henry, love the name Henry. I think my favorite, though, are Levi, because uh, that's my dad's name. In fact, my dad had the coolest name because his middle name was Osborne. Because he didn't know about Tom Osborne back then, but you know, it's pretty cool. Well, Levi Osborne. In fact, he always went by Osborne or Ozzy, as his nickname was. And my mom's name is Audrey. And I don't know, it seems like that name is even more beautiful to me now than it was then. Every time I Here's somebody with a little girl named Audrey. I go, wow, it's, it's great. I, well, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to name their child Steve. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Sometimes I'm getting to think that maybe I'm going to have to be dead before that name comes around again. But though, though our daughter, Nikki, uh, has told me that if she has a girl, she's going to name her Stevie. Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. Um, our names are important to us, right? You know, we choose them carefully for our children. We, we really like it when someone remembers our name. We know that when we're talking with somebody, it's important to use their name, to say it. Even, even how we say someone's name makes a difference. Our tone of voice... Uh, uh, an emphasis that we put on, on one part of that, of that person's name. You know, when, when I was growing up, it, it seemed like I had three different names. Uh, Steve, and Stevie, and Stephen. Guess, guess which one was used when I did something wrong, when I was in trouble? Yeah, Stephen, with, like, like it had an exclamation point after it, and it was all in capital letters, and and, and, then, and then my last name would be used with it. You know, I can, I can still remember my grade school teacher saying, Stephen Waltemeyer, stop talking, you know. Especially, I don't know why it was, third, fourth grade. I had a lot of trouble with that. And guess, guess which one my mom had a hard time stop using? Yeah, Stevie. Even when I begged her, I asked her, not, not, not anymore, Mom. And, 
And it was, it was the name that my older brothers used when they wanted to rile me up. You know, like, oh, Stevie, you know. And, and I, I, I'm not sure about this, but I, I think my dad, I don't know why I don't remember this exactly, because I think my dad had a nickname for me, Steve Arena. It was, that, it was those times when, I, you know, when things were really, really good between my dad and I, you know. And, and, but I, you know, I do remember this. I remember one time, probably more than any other time, when my dad said my name and it, it, it just meant everything to me. It was back when I was actually 30 years old. And uh, Beck and I started out in Wisconsin. I was a pastor there. And long story, long, very long story, but I made a very bad decision and, and decided to get out of the ministry and move to Texas and do something else. And, and I, I knew within a, like months it was a bad, bad decision. And, I mean, it was a really awful time in our life. And I called my dad up, and, and my dad, you know, was a, 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 he didn't fly airplane. He, didn't, he had never been in an airplane up to that point. My dad actually said to me, Steve, you want me, Steve, he said, Steve, you want me to come? I'll fly there. Which like, dad, fly? And, dad, and he didn't. And he never had, never did. But boy, it meant a lot to me that day when he said my name, Steve. Imagine what it would be like to hear God saying your name. God speaking to you personally and saying your name. That's what I'd like us to think about this morning. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, speaking to each one of us and, and, and saying our name. And see, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Imagine what it will mean for us. Me to hear him say Steve, and for you to hear him say your name. Some of you come here today and you have a very close, intimate relationship with God. Things are good between you and God, and you're confident that God knows your name, and, and, you, and you can hear God say it with a, with a tone of love, and, and you're excited about the first time that, that you hear God say it. But there's others of you, perhaps you've come here today and you're a follower of Christ. You've followed him perhaps for years, but your disappointment, you're disappointed with your commitment to him. You feel more guilt than anything. And, and, and you're fearful, you're, you're anxious that, that his tone of voice when he, when he says your name is, is going to say to you that you let him down, that... You haven't lived up to what he hoped you'd be. Or it might be that you've come here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And you would say, I don't even know if he knows my name. And, and, and you might say, and if he ever did say my name, I, I, I can't imagine that he'd, he'd say it with any bit of love in it. <laughs> no matter where you're at this morning, I... You know, with this whole thing, I, I, I want you to leave here today encouraged. And, and, and when I say encouraged, I, I'm saying it with capital letters that you, you can walk out of here today and you're just, you're like super encouraged. You know? Because what we're going to see this morning, and it's really what Easter is all about, is that every single one of us are loved by Jesus Christ. And he, 
He does know each one of our names. And he, he came here to this earth to be our Savior so that, so that when you and I stand before God and God says our name, you and I can know that we'll hear God say it to us with total love and immense pride. <laughs> I, I, I started thinking about this after reading what John wrote in the scripture we come to this morning, the, the first 16 verses of chapter 20, where he, he describes this encounter, this woman by the name of Mary, head with Jesus Christ after his, after his resurrection, what, what really became the first conversation with anyone after his resurrection, which if you think about it, is about as great a privilege as anybody could possibly have, you know? To have that conversation with Jesus Christ. Here, here's what John wrote, chapter 20, Gospel of John, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which happens to be John, who wrote this gospel. And, 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 and Mary said, they, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb and, 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 and both were running. But, and I love this, but, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, what is it about us? You know, we... That competitive stuff, just, and it's like, you know, I read, every time I read that, I go like, well, I guess the Holy Spirit said, oh, all right, I'll let that one in, you know, and, but verse five, he, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in, and then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, Peter finally got there, went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, finally the other disciple had reached the tomb first, and there John goes again, you know, also went inside and he saw and he believed in it. And then John writes this in parentheses. They, he said they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I, I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him, and, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, rabbi. 
Imagine what it meant for Mary to have Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, say her name. That's what I'd like to unpack with you this morning. I'd like us to think about this. What, what it meant for Mary to hear Jesus say, Mary, Mary. To, to understand this, uh, the first thing that you and I need to know is what Scripture tells us about Mary herself. And if you, if you read through the Gospels, you, you'll discover that there's only one thing that we're told about Mary. It's found in the, in the eighth chapter of Luke's Gospel. And it's there that we're told that that before Mary met Jesus and before Jesus healed her, she was possessed by seven demons. In fact, some biblical scholars believe that it was not just seven demons, but, but even way more than that, because in the Semitic language back then, the word seven was, was an idiomatic expression. It's, it, it functioned in the way our word mega functions today. So it's, so it's possible that Mary was... Mega possessed. She, she was possessed by who knows how many demons. The only other place in the Bible that describes someone who was possessed in this way is in Mark's Gospel in the sixth chapter. It was a, it was a man controlled by, by so many demons that he was forced outside the city. People didn't want him around. He was, he was not a pretty sight to see. I mean, he, he screamed all the time and he was, he was constantly cutting himself with stones. Not a pretty sight. And so we know this about Mary. Mary was anything but society's who's who. She was, she was much more of a who's that kind of a kind of a person. She, she was an outcast. She was a very troubled and needy woman. Then, but, but then she met Jesus and she's healed and, and her life is transformed. You see, this helps us understand one reason it meant so much to Mary to hear Jesus say her name. And who knows how many years that of her life. The only way she ever heard her name spoken was in mockery and cursing. And so now perhaps for the, for the first time in her life, she, she hears someone say her name and, and he says it with love and tenderness and kindness. It also tells us something about Jesus that Mary, of all people, of all people, was the first person that he appeared to. I mean, one of the greatest privileges is anybody could possibly have. And, and, and he gave it to someone who was the least of the least, who everybody else despised and, and didn't want anything to do with. You know what this does for us? It assures us that there's none of us outside the reach of God's love. You know? It gives us the confidence to know that there isn't a single one of us here today who, who has a life that is too messed up, too sinful for, for God to love us and, and to God, for God to make us into, into his masterpiece. So the first thing it meant for Mary to hear Jesus say her name is that she, she knew she was loved and and, and by God's grace, her life was transformed. And, and how that was possible, how it was possible for her life to be transformed is, is really the, the second reason it meant so much for Mary to hear Jesus say her name. It's why we're here today. It's the, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
He's realizing that he's alive. Something that Mary did not come to the tomb expecting to find. No one expected it. Not a single person, including every one of, of the disciples. In fact, read each one of the Gospels and you'll find that they're all consistent with what John writes in this 20th chapter of his Gospel. Mary came to the tomb not, ex not hoping, not expecting to find it empty, but, but to anoint the body, the dead body of Jesus with with spices, and, and, and none of the disciples even bothered coming to the tomb. If anything, they were still hiding, fearing for their own lives. Read through the Gospels, and you'll find that there's something very striking about this. Because all through each Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus kept saying it over and over and over again, I'm going to rise on the third day. I'm going to rise on the third day. I mean, he just kept on saying it. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to rise on the third day. Every one of the disciples heard it multiple times, including Mary. And now it's the morning of the third day. And, and no one's there except Mary. And, 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 and she didn't come there to celebrate. She came there to pay her last respects. When she found the tomb empty, I mean, wouldn't you expect, wouldn't you expect after, after she heard Jesus say this so many times, I'm going to rise on the third day, wouldn't you expect that Mary would, would, would say something like this, think like, huh, huh, I, I wonder, you know, I mean, wait a minute. This is crazy. I, I wonder if he rose from the dead, you know. I know. It didn't even occur to her. And what does she do? She, she run, runs to Peter and John and tells them that the, that the body of Jesus had been stolen and, and they reacted exactly the same way she did. They, they, they didn't say to her, they didn't say, Mary, Mary, remember what Jesus said? He's going to rise from the third day. Mary, it's happened. They, they didn't say that. The very opposite. They, they have no idea what happened. Verse 10, John said, they, they, they don't even stay there. They, they go home. They leave Mary by herself. And, you know, and, and so Mary's all alone at the tomb. Have you ever thought about this? Do you, do you know why it was so hard for them to understand that Jesus was alive? Do you know why it was inconceivable to them? It's, it's because the possibility of Jesus being resurrected went against everything that they had been taught their whole life. You see, the fact is they were, they were as skeptical about a person's resurrection, their body, a person's body being resurrected as many people are today. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to think that people today are are skeptical, skeptical about uh, the resurrection because we're, we're modern and, and, and we're smart and, and we have science, but people of the ancient world, they, they were gullible. They, they believed anything. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. <laughs> yeah. 
See, ancient people were not stupid. They, they understood that dead creatures tend, tend to stay dead. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever um, heard the comedian Ken Davis. Anybody ever? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I, if I remember this from, you know, uh, when he was in town uh, many, many years ago, but he, uh, it might have been in one of his books. I think he wrote two or three books. And, but he tells the story of this woman who looked out her window one day only to see her German shepherd dog shaking the life out of her neighbor's pet ra rabbit. You ever heard about this? I mean, she's like, and this is not a neighbor that they got along with. And so she knows this isn't going to be good. It's going to be a disaster. And so she has, you know, what's she going to do? So she, she grabs a broom, she runs outside, and she begins to beat that, that German shepherd dog until it finally drops that now extremely dead rabbit. And she's like, she panics. She, she grabs a rabbit. She runs into the house. She gives it a bath. She blow dries it to its original fluffiness, combs its fur as well as she possibly can, and then runs back into her neighbor's yard and, and props the rabbit up in the cage and goes back into her house. An hour later, she hears her neighbor screaming, and she goes, oh no, she found out what I did. And so she runs out of the house ready to tell her neighbor what happened and to apologize for what she did. And her neighbor, before she had a chance to say anything, her neighbor, her neighbor points at the rabbit and she says, look, the rabbit, that rabbit died two days ago. We buried it, now it's back. <laughs> yeah. Really. So why am I telling you this? See, ancient people knew that dead rabbits stay dead. Ancient people also knew that dead rabbis stay dead. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright notes, he said, there were many messianic movements in the first century, and in every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome, and, and in not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of, of, of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. It was no different for the men and women who believed in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They all saw him crucified. They, they thought, you know what, it was good when it lasted, but it's over. It's done now. That is until they saw him alive. And what we see happening to Mary in this passage, really, it's a, it's a case in point, and it's, it's an example. Peter and John have left. She's standing alone outside the tomb, and she's crying. In fact, the word that is used to describe her crying is a word that, 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 that tells us that it wasn't just a mere trickle of tears. She was, she was gushing tears of, of anguish, of, of grief. It was like a waterfall of pent-up emotion. See, Mary's an emotional wreck. 
And we know, I mean, we can understand why. She believed with all of her heart that Jesus was dead. And, and John writes, I, I love this, he said, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, and saw two angels in white seated where, where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, they asked her, Woman, why are, why are you crying? See, th th this is not a question they were asking to get some information. They knew why she was crying. What it, what it really was, it was sort of a gentle rebuke. They, they were saying to her, Mary, Mary, why are you crying, Mary? Are you so filled with grief that you, you're not remembering what Jesus said? That he would rise on the third day? Mary, it's not over, it's just beginning. But she still doesn't get it. Verse 13, John, John writes, they've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she, she saw Jesus standing there, but, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And same question, woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Here's Mary, I mean, just think. Think of this. Here's Mary, two angels in front of her, Jesus Christ standing behind her, all three asking her the same question. And the idea of resurrection is so far from anything she imagined possible that she still doesn't recognize Jesus. And here's my favorite part John writes, thinking he was the gardener, she said, She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, <laughs> he said to her, Mary. Oh, Mary. One word, her, her own name, and she knows it's Jesus. What, what an amazing moment this, this must have been. The, the resurrected Jesus says her name, and, and the scales of grief fall from her eyes. Anguish and despair swallowed up in, in really, you know, astonishment and delight. See, that's why it meant everything to Mary, to hear the name of Jesus. To hear Jesus say her name. For in that moment, in that moment, she knew he was alive. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a series of sermon, sermons from, as Jeff said earlier, from the New Testament book of uh, Colossians, uh, a, a book that, that really points to the supremacy of Christ over all of creation, all, that, that, that Jesus Christ created this universe, he created it, you know, himself, and he created it for himself. It's really quite amazing. Creator of this universe, knowing Mary's name, knowing your name, knowing my name. Huh. What's, what's, what's more important than Jesus knowing our names is that he knows everything about us, and and, and the most important thing that he knows about you and he knows about me is, is our spiritual need. And, 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 and knowing this, he, he set aside the glory of heaven that had been his for all of eternity. 
and he became one with us in our humanity, and he did something that none of us have ever been able to do. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God, and then he went to a cross, and as he died on that cross, he took all of God's judgment, the judgment you deserve and I deserve, he took all of that judgment on himself. Becky and I have two children. Like I'm sure each one of you did. We spent a lot of time thinking about the names that we were going to choose for each one of them. So nearly 36 years ago, we welcomed our son into this world with the joy of being able to say great to him for the first time. And we did the same for our daughter two years later. Joyfully, joyfully calling her Nikki. For the first time. And, and, and when we did that, we did it the same way I'm sure you did it. As a parent, we did it with, with so much joy and, and so much love and so much pride. And as, as I look back and on the years, it just, you know, we just said it so many times. We felt it so deeply for our children. On September 3rd last year, our son Greg died. In the midst of our grief, Beck and I are so thankful that when Greg was a young child, he made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And, and he really got it. I mean, it just stayed with him his whole life. As I prepared this sermon, I can't tell you how many times I thought about what it was like for our son to hear his, his Savior and his Lord say to him, Welcome home, Greg. Welcome home, Greg. And, and, and Jesus saying his name with, with all of the love that took him to the cross to die for him. And I, I thought about the proudest moments I've had of Greg and, and, and the many times that I told Greg how proud he made me. And Becky did the same. And yet I realized that none of those times come close to the pride in his Savior's voice when Jesus said his name and welcomed him home. And, and here's why I know this is true. It's not because of what Greg did. It's, it's because of what Jesus Christ did for Greg. So that when Jesus saw him, he, he saw him as a masterpiece that he created and he redeemed him to be. And here's what's true, everybody. He'll do this for us. And so, friend, if you've come here today as a follower of Christ, but you're, you're just so disappointed in yourself and, and you're fearful of hearing Jesus say your name, you know what you can know with absolute confidence this morning? <laughs> when you see him and he says your name, it's going to welcome you into heaven. And there's only going to be love and pride in his voice. He'll, he'll be so proud of you because he'll, he'll see you as the masterpiece that he created and redeemed you to be. And that's what Easter's all about. And if you've come here today, if you've come here today and you're still on that spiritual journey, I, I want you to know this, okay? 
Jesus knows your name. And he knows your spiritual need. And he loves you. And he died for you. And again, that's what Easter's all about. And, and so as I've been thinking about this morning, I just my hope and my prayer all week has been is that, that you choose to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And even do that this morning. So that someday when you take your last breath on earth and you take your first breath in eternity, <laughs> he'll welcome you home to heaven. And he'll do it with all of the love that led him to the cross to die for you. And he'll do it with this, this immense pride in, in seeing you exactly the way he redeemed you to be. I, it would be my privilege to pray with you this morning. And I just want to give you the opportunity to, to have a conversation with God where you can, you can say something like this to God. I'll just tell you what you could say and then and then we'll say it okay you could say God I know you're holy and God I know I'm a sinner and God I know that you not only know my name but you know everything about me and God I need your forgiveness through Jesus Christ I thank you that he came to die for me and I want him to be my savior you can pray that prayer right where you're seated today Let's pray, okay? And you'll be talking to God, and God will hear you. Father God, I, I know you are a holy God. And I understand today that you're a loving God. And God, because you're God, you, you know everything about me. And because you knew all, everything about me, you know my sin. Because you love me so much, you sent your son to die for me. God, this morning, I confess my sin to you. And I, I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.